welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Shabri Raja. She is the CEO and co-founder of Nepris. And Nepris is a web-based industry connections platform that enables every teacher to connect his classroom to the real world, to engage students in science, technology, engineering, and math, and to expose them to real job skills and inspire them through role models. She's passionate about building companies that can use lean startup methodology to bring innovative products to market faster. And she has extensive experience in business, education, and technology. I'm so happy you're here with us today, Shabri. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. Really appreciate it. So I'd love to hear about the founding of Nepris. You co-founded Nepris in 2013 to connect industry leaders with educators. So can you tell me a little bit more about the company and about the challenge you saw in education that led you to found the organization? Absolutely. Um, You know, a lot of how Nepris got started comes from my personal childhood experiences and background as well. Um, If you've read any of my profile, I always start by saying I I grew up in a a rural small farm in uh, South India to parents without college degrees, right? So my world, my exposure was very limited to the farm. And I I was sent to boarding school at the age of five because that was the only way that my parents could ensure that I got a good education. So my world was very limited to the boarding school and the farm. So exposure was really not non-existent. So like if you read the book, uh, Who You Know, it was written by Julia Freeland Fisher from the Christensen Institute. She talks about your inherited network, the network that you're born into. You know, that network for me was very, very small. So my experiences of what I did in high school, what I chose in college and where I ended up in my career, I would say were all very accidental and I was lucky, you know, but most students don't, don't have that kind of luck in finding what they really want to do and have the opportunities to do it. It truly comes down to the lack of exposure, right? Like 47% of kids who drop out do so because they don't see the relevance of school. A good percentage of students in rural uh, areas have no idea what kind of opportunities are available out there. So I worked in education technology for nearly 20 years before, um, or nearly 14 years before I started Nepris. So it was a personal passion, my personal experiences, mine and my co-founders that really sort of paved the way for NEPRIS. I was involved very early on with a lot of discussions in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where a lot of community stakeholders like your your local employers, um, like Texas Instruments or Lockheed or uh, Cisco, they were coming together with school district leaders, with community college leaders, with um, intermediaries like chambers and workforce development. They were all gathering in every part of the country talking about how do we bridge this workforce pipeline gap. Not enough kids are coming out of the pipeline, qualified to take the jobs that these uh, companies have. And it really boils down to lack of exposure. If you don't know what's out there, how do you aspire for something that you don't know exists? That really was the root of how NEPRIS got started. We, we were, Bino and I were part of some of these conversations in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And one fine day we said, you know, 
we have so many stakeholders coming together discussing this issue, but technology is not playing a role in connecting communities, specifically in connecting employers and industry professionals with students to bridge that gap. So our mission has always been, how do we connect working professionals with students to bring that real world connection and through that bring career exposure to students. And we want to level the playing field no matter where these students are. So that's really been our focus. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. I can definitely relate to a lot of what you said. I, while in a different country, I grew up in the US, but I grew up in a very small town in Wisconsin Mm -hmm. um, where I was fortunate that my parents did finish high school and my mom finished college when I was in high school. but didn't have the network. I had no inherited network. The majority of my family, most of them finished high school, but nobody had gone farther than that. Like there was, Mm -hmm. there was nowhere to look. And to your point, you can't become what you can't see. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's one of, it's become one of the graduate standards of our elementary school is influencing action in the world around us. And how do we connect with mm-hmm. companies, with organizations, with community partners, so the kids can see that the skills that they're learning really are valuable in the real world, mm-hmm. so that then school is relevant, so that mm-hmm. hopefully they won't drop out in the future and yeah, they see absolutely. the value, um, but also so that they have those future-ready skills, absolutely. which it sounds like is really part of the push of NEPRIS and what you're doing is building students for the future of work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we started with a very narrow focus, like most companies, you know, we said, okay, if teachers are teaching specific topics in the classroom, even as early as elementary school, I was, I'm glad to hear you talk about connecting students at the elementary level, because it's so important, we get these kids, these opportunities at a much younger age, sometimes even when they come to high school, it's a bit too late to sort of influence and give them the tools that they need to sort of direct them in the path. So the scenarios of what kind of connections, you know, those have evolved. Uh, to be honest, we never envisioned the, the multitude of scenarios of how industry can connect with classrooms, you know. So when we first started, there was just one scenario. Like teachers are teaching a specific topic in the classroom. Say a sixth grade classroom is learning about ratios and proportions. Uh, so now this teacher can say, hey, where is this applied in the real world? And I want to connect with, mm-hmm. with someone. Many times the teachers themselves don't know where it is applied, right? Because three-fourths of the teachers um, in our K-12 system do not have any industry experience. So our platform, uh, you know, how we started off was saying, okay, if a teacher asks for something, then we match that to, say, an architect, and bring this architect virtually into the classroom. And the architect now has an opportunity to show their plans and talk about how ratios and proportions are so important in the work that they do. So that's how we started. But today, the schools, the teachers and industry experts and companies have taken this engagement to a different level that we never even envisioned. You know, So many companies are coming in doing virtual tours of workspaces. They actually put together projects and challenges for virtual internships. A lot of the high school CTE classrooms are presenting, students are presenting their capstone projects to a virtual panel of industry experts from around the world. I mean, when you talk about soft skills, what better way to actually put the students on on stage and let them present to real world professionals? So the number of ways in which industry is engaging with classrooms have really gone way beyond our original imagination. 
Yeah. And do you see, so are you working primarily with middle school and high school classrooms? And do you see any difference with the schools that you're working with and the educators? Like, are you seeing more progressive project-based type schools reaching out and looking, or are you also seeing more traditional schools also using the platform? Yeah, we do. That's a great question. We have a mix of schools. I think first to answer your question, it's not just middle and high school. We were quite surprised by this data as well. Actually, a largest user base is first high school CTE, and right next to it is elementary. Um, So yeah, I mean, even kindergarten classrooms, learning about weather or connecting with the meteorologist, you know, they're talking about space and they're connecting to Janet's planet. So there's so many ways that elementary classrooms are engaging with industry as well, which is really encouraging because I'm a strong believer in reaching kids very early. We see a mix of schools, but while we are a technology company, we are very focused on social impact as well, which means, you know, we are capturing data for what percentage of students that we are reaching are coming from underserved populations. So we do work with a lot of, majority of our users are public school districts. Uh, We do have some charter schools and private schools too, but mostly public school districts, many of the school districts are serving underserved communities. A rural school districts see a huge value proposition because they really don't have diverse industry around them. But within these districts where we see the most usage is uh, within three buckets. One is it could be a project-based learning classroom, uh, like you said, because in a PBL classroom, you really have to bring authentic learning, authentic audience into the classroom. This is an easy way for teachers to bring that authentic connection to the students. The second bucket, of course, is STEM. Um, I mean, I say STEM, but I'm also like, what is not STEM these days? You know, like there is STEM in everything. Um, You know, even arts has STEM components to it. So when I say STEM within districts, there's STEM academies and very STEM-focused schools that are looking to connect with uh, STEM professionals. So we we work and partner with various organizations like Lida Hills If Then Initiative, which purely focuses on women role models in STEM. They have these amazing hundred dynamic women role models in STEM that they connect through our platform with various schools. So um, so that STEM is the second bucket. The third big bucket is CTE. Like if you think about it, Tanya, in the last couple of years, career readiness, career and technical education has taken center stage in most um, states. Like over 40 states have put career readiness as one of their top three priorities. So um, because in a lot of uh, states like Louisiana and others, a lot of the kids are not going to go to four-year college degrees. They're looking for other opportunities, certifications. How do you really give them the skills, employability skills? So these three buckets, PBL, STEM, and CTE are the three buckets that we see NAPRIS being used the most. Yeah, great. That makes sense. It's really interesting. Um, but it does make sense. Yeah. And that's a lot of what other industries are talking about as well is that career readiness piece and what Mm -hmm. what skills do we really need to have and what do we need to learn? And especially right now, are four-year colleges relevant or the way to go? And and what other things can we be focused on? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. There's a lot of talk now about reinventing education with shelter in place and with 
the way schools are looking at opening in the fall and the way we've shifted to online and blended learning, there's a lot of talk about, is this the best way? Is this the right way? Should we continue this even after we can go back to the way it was? You're in a unique position being in the crossroads of industry in education. So mm-hmm. what, what do you see as the challenges and how would you, how would you envision reimagining education? Uh, how much time do you have, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we've been uh, pretty much every day there. I've been in at least one conversation about what's going to happen in fall. And so let me start with, you know, I don't think anyone was prepared for a global pandemic um, right after covid it was towards the end of the last school year. Um, what was very disappointing to see was uh, disappointing, but not surprising, right? To see was that most um, school districts were not prepared to go online into remote learning, right? It's not an overnight thing you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, school districts were mostly battling with if we were to conduct classes online, what is the equity of access? Half our students don't have computers at home. They don't have internet at home. How do you serve those students? There were lots and lots of issues for public school districts to consider. It wasn't like, okay, now that schools are closed, let's jump into you know online meetings and let's do this. It, it, was, it was a switch for most of the companies like us. We were like, okay, we're not meeting in person. Let's just meet online. But it wasn't the foremost public school district. So what we had to do at that point was teachers really didn't have direction from the districts to how to go about conducting online learning or remote learning. Uh, Many of the teachers, proactive teachers, individually took some steps to do that, but then they were faced with all the security issues and privacy issues around using online tools that they were not trained for, they were not ready for. So tons and tons of barriers that you just couldn't, you know, happen. So most of the end of the last school district after COVID fell in the hands of parents. Like I look at my own kids and what we did for a month, they thought they were on extended spring break, you know? (laughs) So so quickly as a a tech platform, and we've been in so many conversations with other tech founders, Everybody did this. We all opened up all our online resources free for parents to use. And we put in a lot of changes within our platform to enable parents to sign up and add their students and access these resources. Pretty much every tech company went through this process and just generously everybody gave away all of the content and said, please, everybody use it. It's great, but again, parents were faced with so many different choices and, and they were like, what do I use and what, what do I do, you know? So so anyway, I'm hoping that going into the new school year, it looks like it's not going to be 100% in-person. It's not. That's just the reality of it. And most districts are still making decisions. But I think and I hope that most districts have used this summer to really train the teachers to do online learning. They've actually selected a platform to use for virtual classrooms. Um, They've they've done a lot of work and prepared teachers to get into this online learning environment as well. Um, So going into fall, it will be better, I hope, than the last few months of the last school year, right? Where hardly any instruction happened. In the end, we had some worksheets on Google Classroom and that, that was it. But going into fall, how we are preparing is we are suddenly seeing an uptick with so many districts reaching out to us saying, we want virtual learning resources. 
and in this in this time of um, where teachers are still going to figure out how to do online instruction and teaching math and science and you know English language reading, all of these core instruction is going to continue, and schools hopefully have figured out. But why we are seeing such an uptick from districts reaching out to us saying we want to continue with, you know, we want a platform like Nepris going forward is, again, in this uh, remote learning situation where students are so scattered in their homes and there's not this collaboration, um, having that outside expertise and role models, it's part of social emotional learning as well. It's being connected to the community. It's bringing so many different stakeholders to the table and keeping students connected to something other than just their home and their computer and, and their and their teacher, you know. So we had a little bit of a dip in March and April, but now there's so many um, school districts coming to us saying, how do we implement NEPRIS? We are, as an edtech company, coming up with special training for teachers to help them implement these kind of solutions comfortably in a remote learning setting. You know, it's it's not easy. Uh, it's work in progress. We'll see how the fall turns out. Yeah, that's great. You should send me some of those resources so that I can share them with the network too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one thing uh, we did right away, usually in summer when schools are out, we are preparing for the next school year. But this summer, very quickly, we built a whole new product uh, called Virtual Summer Camps, super cheap, affordable summer camps for parents. Uh, we've been doing seven weeks each week focused on like from STEM to skills to food to next week is school careers. And then it's how it's made week different. We're leveraging our employer partnerships to bring these virtual summer camp to directly to parents. So that's actually been going really well. Uh, we're also kicking off a, a virtual job shadow week with our partner K-12 Inc. Um, next week. So and Tallow. So we're, the Job Shadow Week already has over 2,000 students signed up for virtual Job Shadow stuff. So we're also trying different things. But I think going forward, our goal will be still to continue working with school districts. But we cannot forget that parents are going to be a key component. And we cannot just leave the parents out. They have to play a role in how you're going to engage the students at home. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And especially moving forward and as we look to you know, things being safe again and beyond mm -hmm. COVID. One of the great things that hopefully will come out of this is more involvement of parents in their right. students' education and really being a part of a part of the solution of what comes next. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm really interested to see, and maybe you have some thoughts on this too, of what that next iteration of education will be when we've gone through this virtual learning and blended learning We've walked away from seat time in schools and standardized testing and increased parent involvement. You know, when things are safe again, what does that next iteration of education look like? What's going to stick? Um, that's you know? a loaded question. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it is a little bit self-serving, but I started NEPRIS because we truly believe in this is, you know, for decades and decades, the models in education has not changed at all. You know, like there is still a sage on the stage and, uh, you know, students are in a classroom listening to lectures. But things have changed a bit in, the, in terms of project-based learning and more hands-on learning and stuff. But my uh, hope and wish is that this global pandemic has really sort of, it's a kick in the backside for us to say 
things have to change in a jiffy. It gives us an opportunity to really, you know, have that sort of community engagement in the learning of a student. You know, it is teacher is still at the core of this, but it is not solely the teacher's responsibility in not just educating, but giving the experiences that the kids need to really come out of this well-rounded and ready to take on the real world. You know, we've, we've been very focused on testing and did they do well in math and did they do well in science? And I, as a parent, I'm guilty of this because I'm like, if my kids don't get a, a hundred in math, I'm worried, you know, that's how we are, we're sort of made to think. But I think this gives us an opportunity to say, teaching doesn't have to be within the four walls of a classroom. You know, when we talk about experiential learning, what is the role of companies? What is the role of parents? And how can teaching and learning be a more collaborative process? You know, that's the change I see. And technology is an enabler for this. A lot of teachers are still afraid of technology, you know, um, and, and there's always a fear that technology is going to replace the teacher. I don't think, you know, even in new models of education, I think the role of the teacher is going to change as the coach and the enabler, but somehow the future of education has to be a more collaborative experiential learning where learning happens outside the four walls of the classroom and not just based on books and curriculum. You know, that's, that's really what I envision. Yeah, that, that leads into the next thing that I was going to ask you about is as a parent, and so many parents have so much uncertainty right now around school and around if they're doing the right thing and if their mm-hmm. students are getting the education they need. Do you have specific advice or things that you can share with parents during this time who might be worried that their kids aren't getting what they need or that they're falling behind? Yeah, absolutely. I I wish I had the answer as a parent. I am still not sure I have all the answers, you know, uh, because I want to give the schools a chance to do their work this fall. I don't want, first thing I'll tell parents is not to panic and assume that the oh the last few months of the last school year we didn't get what we wanted so now I need to I'm hearing this from my some of my friends now they're actually looking to pull them out and put them in virtual schools or other things I'm like it's okay to think like that but I would say most districts are gearing up getting ready they've used the summer I'm going to give my school district a chance to continue to teach my kids. But as a parent being practical, in the back of my mind, I have identified some supplemental resources, especially for math, science and reading, just to keep in the back of my mind. And then because they do have, you know, as to get that outside experience, if I'm going to practice what I preach, I do have my kids participating in all of the NEPRIS sessions. So they're continuously being exposed to outside opportunities as well. So along with NEPRIS, I've identified a few other online uh, supplemental learning for all the core curriculum. So if I'm not satisfied with the level of learning that's happening, then I'm going to still continue keeping them in school, but I will supplement at home. That's really my plan at this point as a parent, not as a a tech professional, but just as a parent. Um, And for most parents now, you know, so many tech companies are offering so many online resources, like our virtual summer camp. Uh, There's so much happening. I would say, um, I wish I had a easy go-to list. I think Immersion Collective actually compiled a list of 
EdTech resources that parents can go check out. If I find that, I will send it to you. But uh, multiple organizations like Immersion Collective that have compiled lists that, that parents can look into. There are parents who are looking at virtual schools as well. K-12 is a partner of ours, and they've been in the virtual school business for a long, long time. They know what they're doing. They know how to educate kids um, online. Uh, so I know some parents are looking at those options as well. Yeah, absolutely. From a, a school administrator point of view, we've also launched a digital learning program yeah, um, yeah. to help support those families. So we'll go back in person, but we'll also go back with a separate program online, utilizing everything yeah. that we've learned and all the feedback we've gotten from our community over the past several months. Yeah, I think most of the districts have done exactly what you're saying is they've gotten a lot of feedback from parents. They're listening. It's encouraging to see districts are taking action. Um, I would like to believe that my school, my kids' school is going to offer the same rigor and challenge that they did before. But I'm just keeping some options, some supplemental options open just in case, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your time. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that I haven't covered or haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, um, I, I think we've talked about everything. So if I want to, just as a wrap up, I would say uh, we we still have uh, parent access to our platform. So if parents want to give that sort of outside your core curriculum exposure to students. The virtual summer camps are still going on. So we would love for parents to take advantage of that. Uh, don't let the summer slide happen, especially in the summer where no one's taking vacations or going anywhere. So yeah, just take advantage of that. It's at nepris.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the resource. And thank you so much for sharing your time, Shabri. I appreciate it. Thanks for the wonderful. opportunity, Tanya. And good luck with your back to school as well. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead. <laughs>